Welcome to an emergency episode of the Daily Science Report. Today, we're going to be talking about all the different and creative ways we found to destroy planet Earth. Starting with an article here from physics.org about how rainwater is unsafe to drink due to chemicals. Fantastic. Rainwater everywhere on the planet is unsafe to drink due to levels of toxic chemicals known as PFAS that exceed the late lines, according to a new study by Stockholm University. So commonly known as forever chemicals because they disintegrate extremely slowly, PFAS per and polyfluoroalkyl substances were initially found in packaging, shampoo, or makeup, but have spread to our entire environment, including water and air. So I've been saying for a long time, makeup is totally unnecessary and highly toxic. Um, it's really, I mean, y'all might as well just find some non-toxic face paints and just do like some flowers on your face. That would be like infinitely more charming than whatever kind of contouring you guys are trying to pull off. Just look, just eat healthy, let your skin breathe. And makeup is synthetic beauty, all right? It's just not helping anyone, honestly, except for the people who are selling makeup. And oftentimes the makeup is mined and mica mines that are mined by children um, on the other side of the world and to make people feel pretty. I think it's so fucking stupid. But anyway, let's continue with the article. Here they quote, there is nowhere on earth where the rain would be safe to drink, according to the measurements that we've taken. That was a professor at the university and lead author of the study. A compilation of the data since 2010 that his team studied show even in Antarctica or the Tibetan Plateau, the levels of the levels in the rainwater are above the drinking water guidelines that the U.S. EPA uh, proposed. Normally considered pristine, the two regions still have PFAS levels 14 times higher than the U.S. drinking water guidelines. The EPA recently lowered its PFAS guidelines significantly after discovering that the chemicals may affect the immune response in children uh, to vaccines. May affect the immune response in children to vaccines. Oh, Jesus Christ. Once ingested, PFAS accumulate in the body. According to some studies, exposure can also lead to problems with fertility, developmental delays in children, increased risks of obesity or certain cancers, being prostate, kidney, and testicular, and increase in cholesterol levels. Cousins uh, said PFAS were now so persistent and ubiquitous that they will never disappear from the planet. We have made the planet inhospitable to human life by irreversibly contaminating it now so that nothing is clean anymore. And to the point that it's not clean enough to be safe. We've crossed a planetary boundary, uh, referring to a central paradigm of evaluating Earth's capacity to absorb the impact of human activity. However, Cousins noted that PFAS levels in people have actually dropped quite significantly in the last 20 years and ambient levels of PFAS in the environment have been the same for the last 20 years. What changed is the guidelines. They've gone down millions of times since the early 2000s because we've learned about the toxicity of these substances. Uh, he said, we've learned to live with it. I'm not super concerned about the everyday exposure in the mountain stream or water in the food. We can't escape it. We're just going to have to live with it, but it's not a great situation to be in. We've contaminated the environment to the point where background exposure is not really safe. So we've completely fucked over the rain hydrological 
cycle um with our fucking stupid products like shampoo i don't i barely use shampoo like i wash my hair i scrub my hair i put some conditioner in it a little bit sometimes i'll just use oil there's a lot of at-home shampoos we can be making there's plants we can grow that basically produce their own shampoo um yeah we need to have a serious conversation about the fashion industry the makeup industry all these toxic highly toxic industries that aren't serving much of a freaking purpose if you ask me like deodorant honestly guys i'm gonna i'm not gonna lie to y'all it's like it's like spraying um perfume on a turd you know like if you don't smell good, it's because you're not eating right. And, um, yeah, like rubbing deodorant on your armpits, honestly, is not making any of y'all smell any better. I'm just going to say it. Um, things like this, we need to change. You'd be much better off just dabbing a little bit of natural essential oil on you somewhere to just kind of enhance the smell with like a natural good smell instead of a weird, it smells like a chemical dump on top of someone's bo and it's just not pleasant it just never works i don't know why people keep doing this and then scoffing at people who don't use deodorant like they're the stinky ones sorry guys uh this is bass backwards so moving on we have another article here um let's see if i still have it in my notes Uh, i know we have some really cool news um, so on to some more positive news. Here's one of the ways that we can, one of the many multiple examples of new technology coming out every day that can be utilized to make our lives less toxic. So here's an article from Smithsonian Magazine. Um, scientists create more sustainable LED from fish scales. Researchers microwaved fish waste to produce a unique nanoform of carbon that could be used for LED devices in the future. Scientists have discovered that by microwaving fish waste, they can quickly and efficiently create carbon nano onions, or CNOs, a unique nanoform of carbon that has applications in energy storage and medicine. This method could be used to make cheaper and more sustainable LEDs in the future. The researchers from Noyoga Institute of Technology in Japan published their findings in green chemistry. Um, I'll go ahead and get this link copied for y'all. Boom. Okay. Uh, CNOs are nanostructures with spherical carbon shells and a concentric layered structure similar to an onion. They have drawn extensive attention worldwide in terms of energy storage and conversion because they're exceptionally high electrical and thermal conductivity as well as large external surface area. Uh, They've been used in electronics and for biomedical applications such as bioimaging and sensing the drug delivery. Oh, bioimaging and sensing and drug delivery. Um, Those CNOs were first reported in the 1980s. Conventional methods of manufacturing them have required high temperatures, vacuum, and a lot of time and energy. Other techniques are expensive and call for complex uh, catalysts and dangerous acidic or basic conditions. This greatly limits the potential of CNOs. Um, The newly discovered method requires only one step microwave pyrolysis of fish scales extracted from fish waste and it can be done within 10 seconds uh, according to the authors 
How exactly the fish scales are converted into CNOs is unclear. Through the team, though the, th the team thinks it has to do with how collagen in the fish scales can absorb enough microwave radiation to quickly increase temperature. And that leads to pyrolysis or thermal, decom thermal decomposition, which causes the collagen to break down into gases. The gases then support the creation of CNOs. This method, of, uh, this method is a straightforward way to convert fish waste into infinitely more useful materials. And the resulting CNOs have high crystallinity, which gives them exceptional optical properties. They also have high functionalization, which means they're bonded to other small molecules on their surface. Uh, the combination of attributes means the CNOs can glow bright blue. Ooh, I like that. That's beautiful. CNOs exhibit ultra bright visible light emission with an efficiency or quantum yield 40%. The co-author and professor on the Nagoya, I think that's a lot, uh, Nagoya Institute of Technology Department of Life Science and Applied Chemistry in a statement, this value, which has never been achieved before, is about 10 times higher than that of previously reported CNOs synthesized via conventional methods. Yeah, we're talking an order of magnitude uh, higher. So because of these excellent optical properties, the CNOs could be used to create large area emissive flexible films and LED devices. And these findings will open up new avenues for the development of next generation displays and solid state lighting. So how freaking cool is that? Um, anyone have any questions, feel free to drop them in the comments. I'm just gonna drop you guys a link to that last uh, study. Here you go. And I am going to explore some new science news with you guys here in just a sec. So pull this up since we're here. Just want to ask everyone to totally respect the planet in every way that you can. Be completely conscious and aware of all your actions and how they affect everything around you. Um, every little thought and action you take matters. It uh, looks like plesiosaurs may have lived in rivers. That's kind of cool and creepy. Absolutely terrifying. Uh, Super Earth skimming habitable zone of red dwarf. The Western wildfire smoke plumes are getting taller. Okay, so we got fires going on. Common viruses may be triggering the onset of Alzheimer's disease. Hmm. Okay, we'll, we'll go with some of these. Um, we'll, we'll see about this virus article. I know we're talking about a lot of virus news lately, so... Oh, wow. Shingles infection may activate dormant neurological herpes viruses, causing inflammation and accumulation of Alzheimer's associated proteins in the brain. Holy shit. This is absolutely terrifying. I had a friend that had a bad reaction to something and ended up with uh, shingles all over his legs. And this is fucking terrifying. Um Looks like Alzheimer's disease can begin almost imperceptibly, often masquerading in the early months or years as forgetfulness that is common in older age. What causes the disease remains largely a mystery. But researchers at Tufts University and the University of Oxford using three-dimensional human tissue culture model mimicking the brain have shown that uh, varicella zoster virus, which commonly causes chickenpox and shingles, may activate herpes simplex another common virus to set in motion the early stages of Alzheimer's. 
Normally, HSV-1, one of the main variants of the virus, lies dormant within the neurons of the brain, but when it's activated, it leads to accumulation of tau and amyloid beta proteins the loss of, and the loss of uh, neuronal function, signature features found in patients with Alzheimer's. Our results suggest the pathway to Alzheimer's disease causes, caused by a VZV infection, which uh, creates inflammatory triggers that awaken HSV in the brain. That was Dana Cairns, the G, uh, GBS-12 uh, research associate with the biomedical engineering department. And she goes on to say, while we demonstrated a link between VZV and HSV-1 activation as possible, other inflammatory events in the brain could also awaken HSV-1 and lead to Alzheimer's. So we have been working a lot off established evidence that HSV has been linked to increased risk of Alzheimer's disease in patients. Um, wow. And uh, we know there's a correlation between HSV-1 and Alzheimer's disease and some suggested involvement of VZV, but we didn't know what we, what we didn't know is the sequence of events that the viruses create to set the disease in motion. We think we now have evidence of those events. So this might be some of the research involved with what they've been talking about, how they've had kind of an incorrect understanding of Alzheimer's for the last 16 years. Uh, according to the World Health Organization, an estimated 3.7 billion, 3.7 billion people under the age of 50 have been infected with HSV-1, the virus that causes oral herpes. In most cases, it's asymptomatic, lying dormant in nerve cells. When activated, it can cause inflammation in nerves and skin, causing painful sores and blisters, most carriers. Uh, that is, one in two Americans, according to the CDC, will have be between a very mild to no symptoms before the virus becomes dormant. Um, the varicella zoster virus is also extremely common, with about 95% of people having been infected before the age of 20. Many of those cases are expressed as chickenpox. VZV, which is a form of herpes virus, can also remain in the body, finding its way to nerve cells before then becoming dormant. Later in life, uh, VZV can be reactivated to cause shingles, a disease characterized by blisters and nodules in the skin that form band-like pattern that can be very painful, lasting for weeks or months. One in three people will eventually develop a case of shingles in their lifetime. The link between H HSV-1 and Alzheimer's disease only occurs when HSV-1 has been reactivated to cause sores, blisters, and other painful inflammatory conditions. Um, so, jeez, uh, Alou, the researchers observed that the VZV-infected samples started to produce higher levels of cytokines, proteins which are often involved in triggering inflammatory response. Kaplan noted the VZV is known in many clinical cases to cause inflammation in the brain, which could possibly lead to activation of dormant HSV and increased inflammation. Repeat cycles of HSV-1 activation can lead to more inflammation in the brain, uh, production of plaques, and accumulation of neuronal and cognitive damage. A vaccine for VZV to prevent chickenpox in singles has also been shown to considerably reduce the risk of dementia. It's possible that the vaccine is helping to stop the cycle of viral reactivation, inflammation, and neuronal damage. The researchers also noted the long-term neurological effects that some COVID patients have experienced from the SARS-CoV-2 virus, particularly among the elderly, that both VZ1 and HSV1 can be reactivated after a COVID infection. Keeping an eye on possible 
follow on cognitive effects and neurodegeneration would be advisable in these cases. Interesting. Wow. I love learning about this stuff. I guess I'll go ahead and drop you guys a link to that study just to stay sourced. Boom, boom, boom. And we'll see if y'all have any questions or requests for um, science topics for us to go over. If anyone has any requests on a specific topic or area of science you'd like me to go over, I can certainly hone the episode to accommodate anyone's interest. And for now, I'm going to hop back over and take a look at what else is on the list of news. Um... Okay. Ooh, this is that's some really cool stuff here. So we'll have two more that I'll go through here. Um, engineers develop stickers that can see inside the body. New stamp-sized ultrasound adhesive produce clear images of heart, lungs, and other internal organs. Uh, this is from the Massachusetts Institute of Tech. The engineers designed an adhesive patch that produces ultrasound images of the body. Ultrasound imaging is a safe and non-invasive window into the body's workings, providing clinicians with live images of a patient's internal organs. To capture these images, trained technicians manipulate ultrasound wands and probes to direct sound waves into the body. These waves reflect back out to produce high-resolution images of a patient's heart, lung, and other deep organs. Currently, Ultrasound imaging requires bulky specialized equipment available only in hospitals and doctor's offices, but a new design by MIT engineers might make the technology as wearable as inaccessible and accessible as buying band-aids at the pharmacy. In a paper appearing today in science, you know, and there's something about this science, you know, there's always stuff like this coming out, but here's the thing. If it undercuts technology that is more expensive and is generating more revenue for the pharmaceutical industry, you're never going to fucking see it. And therein lies the problem with capitalism. So capitalism is the reason why you don't get to use any of these cool technologies. Um, in a paper appearing today in Science, the engineers present the design for a new ultrasound sticker, a stamp-sized device that sticks to skin and can provide continuous ultrasound imaging of internal organs for 48 hours. The researchers applied the stickers to volunteers and showed the devices produced live, high-resolution images of major blood vessels, deeper organs, such as the heart, lungs, and stomach. The stickers maintained strong adhesion and captured changes in underlying organs as volunteers perform various activities, including sitting, standing, jogging, and biking. The current design requires connecting the stickers to instruments that translate the reflected sound waves into images. The researchers point out that even in their current form, the stickers could have immediately applica immediate applications. For instance, the devices could be applied to patients in the hospital, similar to heart monitoring EKG stickers, and could continuously image internal organs without requiring a technician to hold a probe in place for long periods of time. The devices can be made to operate wirelessly, a goal the team is currently working toward. The ultrasound stickers could be made into wearable, wearable imaging products that patients could take home from a doctor's office or even buy at a pharmacy. We envision new patches adhered to different locations on the body, and the patches would communicate with your cell phone, where AI algorithms would analyze the images on demand. And that was Juan Hezao, 
professor of, professor of mechanical engineering and civil environmental engineering at MIT. And he goes on to say, we believe we've opened a new era of wearable imaging. With a few patches on your body, you can see your internal organs. Study also includes a bunch of other people uh, to image with ultrasound, a technician for supplies, blah, blah, blah. Okay, this is pretty self-explanatory, pretty cool. How does it work? Uh, it produces a higher resolution images over longer duration by pairing stretchy adhesive layer with rigid array of transducers. This combination enables the device to conform to the skin while maintaining the relative location of transducers to generate clearer and more precise images. The device's adhesive layer is made from two thin layers of elastomer that encapsulate a middle layer of solid hydrogel, mostly water-based material that easily transmits sound waves. Unlike traditional ultrasound gels, the MIT's uh, team's hydrogel is elastic and stretchy. <clears throat> the elastomer prevents the dehydration of the hydrogel. Only when hydrogel is highly hydrated can acoustic waves penetrate effectively and give high-resolution imaging, imaging of the internal organs. The bottom elastomer layer is designed to stick to the skin while the top layer adheres to a rigid array of transducers. The team also designed fabricated. The entire ultrasound sticker measures about two square centimeters across and three millimeters thick about the area of a postage stamp. The researchers ran the ultrasound sticker through a battery of tests with healthy volunteers who wore the stickers on various parts of their body, including the neck, chest, abdomen, and arms. The stickers stayed attached to their skin and produced clear images of underlying structures for up to 48 hours. During this time, volunteers performed a variety of activities. The team is working to make the stickers function wirelessly, developing software algorithms based on intelligence that can better interpret and diagnose the stickers' images. They imagine they can have a box of stickers, each designed to image a different location of the body. They believe that would represent a breakthrough in wearable devices and medical imaging. Cool. So we actually have a video here um, from YouTube. I'll copy that link. And I'm going to drop that in the comments for y'all. I'm looking forward to seeing that. I think that's going to be pretty cool. And here's the last article for you. Here's the YouTube video of these stickers in action. And again, if anyone has any particular uh, topics that they'd like me to explore, they can um, pop those in. What's up, Joshua? What do you think, my dude? How's that unmute situation going? I know Colin is going through some bugs right now. We're in the... What's up, my dude? Hey, um, so I've been listening to your show for a while, and I know you've been on other shows too. Um, you may have heard me bring up hemp, but when you bring up nanomaterials um, and potentialities for addressing carbon sequestration um, on a mass scale, um, as well as having something that's sustainable, and no, I don't look at it as a potential monoculture uh just an alternative to complete reforestation, which uh, doesn't scale and doesn't get us um, results fast enough. Um, so, I mean, and then I would put that on top with like aquaponics. If the fish scale stuff is producing LEDs, then potentially use aquaponics on the same facility. Uh, does uh, any of that resonate with you? Absolutely. I mean, there's a thousand things we should be doing. <laughs> but People are more concerned with evidently smelling good instead of eating healthy. <laughs> so 
I mean, I don't know if it's that simple. I think that it's being held back purposefully because it competes with industries that currently are getting the subsidies and have control of our governments. Um, But capitalism, crony capitalism is the reason that we're here. Yeah. And so I just bring it up because, uh, well, one, uh, eventually, like I've been working on this for like six years. I actually have a meeting with uh, some indigenous uh, people later this week uh, to discuss it, because uh, within the indigenous, uh, especially reservations, they have complete sovereignty. So if they decided that it is an alternative revenue stream, this was a direction to go. um, The federal government being able to have uh, its uh, powers that it typically has within capitalism would be uh, eroded, uh, but obviously the mm. tribes also also have to deal with uh, the Bureau of Indian Affairs and the potential for funding being cut if they don't stay in line. So it definitely depends on the tribe and the location. Yeah, um, what, but what that's are you guys working on. Is there, is there any science that might benefit what you guys are working on? Well, I mean, the science that you found regarding this fish scales has also been said about hemp, uh, being able to create nanomaterials out of it. Also, mm-hmm. um, for me, there's like $3 trillion industries that can be targeted. Uh, uh, the petrochemical industry, obviously, it's not going to replace all mm-hmm. plastics, but maybe some uh, bioplastics and things to start. Um, concrete is incredibly dirty and horrible for the environment. Uh, the hempcrete could replace that for um, a number of uses. It wouldn't go and replace yeah. the whole industry overnight. And then forest yeah. products. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a better material than most forest products and matures faster. Um, but obviously, yeah. we're not at scale yet. So we have supply and demand issues. I mean, like with any new industry, this is a multi-decadal potential product uh, project uh, in multiple industries. So another fun idea for the reservation, man, you might want to fill in your people on the idea of what we call biodigesters. It's like a septic tank, but it works differently. And that you add in all of your human waste, all of your garden scraps, all that kind of stuff goes into the bio composter and it spits out, um, natural gas that you could actually use to cook with, uh, create electricity, all kinds of other things. And it even cleans the water um, better Mm. than a septic tank. And you can run like three houses off of one of these things instead of needing a septic tank for every house. Huh. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely things like that. You can even make a tent above ground. You can make them underground or you can make a little above ground tent. And they, they're brilliant. They, they create compost as a byproduct and they pr- produce natural gas as well. And it's just a new way of dealing with our waste that we could actually use to benefit us in a, in a much cleaner way. I don't know. Thanks for bringing that up. And I just uh, I appreciate the show and uh, you, you uh, kind of giving us uh, some good news to focus on in light of uh, late stage capitalism. Uh, yeah. And I just wanted to chime in and i'm sure i'll I'll talk to you again on other shows as well and or this platform cool yeah i appreciate you man and um i'll I'll read one more article for you guys i think before i close out for the day and i'll I'll try to make it a point to make more of these episodes because i think they are pretty pretty useful and if if anything it's just nice to hear some kind of good news about like the fish scales you know after hearing that our rainwater is toxic (laughs) i try to mix up some good stuff in there too 
because for all the for all the problems that we've created, you know, we are certainly creative enough to solve those problems and correct. I think, but it, it doesn't happen on its own. It takes work. So, and science is some real work. We gotta. We should uh, venerate scientists the way we do um, rock stars. You know, I feel that way personally. I I, I have I want to print out. I'm gonna make a painting of one of my favorite scientists actually um hanging up in my in my house <laughs> so here's a cool one this is one that'll hopefully make everyone smile a nano robot built entirely from dna to explore cell processes this is from the institut national de la santé et de la recherche médicinale uh research uh, sorry research médicinale or inserm uh, constructing a tiny robot from DNA and using it to study cell processes invisible to the naked eye. You would be forgiven for thinking this is science fiction, but it is in fact the subject of serious research. This highly innovative nano robot should enable closer study of mechanical forces applied at the microscopic levels, which are crucial for many biological and pathological processes. So constructing a tiny robot from DNA and understanding it to study the using it to understand and study the cell processes invisible to the naked eye. Oh, we've read this already. Sorry. Here we go. On to the article. Our cells are subject to mechanical forces exerted on a microscopic scale, triggering biological signals essential to many cell processes involved in the normal functioning of our body or in the development of diseases. For example, the feeling of touch is partially conditional on the application of mechanical forces on specific cell receptors, the discovery of which was this year rewarded by the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine. In addition to touch, these receptors that are sensitive to mechanical forces known as mechano mechanoreceptors enable the regulation of other key biological processes such as blood vessel constriction, pain perception, breathing, or even detection of sound waves in the ear. The dysfunction of this cellular uh, mechanosensitivity is involved in many diseases like cancer. Um, cancer cells migrate within the body by sounding and consistently adapting to the mechanical properties of their environment. Such adaptation is only possible because specific forces are detected by mechanoreceptors that transmit the information to the cell cytoskeleton. At present, our knowledge of these molecular mechanisms involved in cell mechanosensitivity is still very limited. Several technologies are already available to apply controlled forces and study these mechanisms, but they have a number of limitations. In particular, they're very costly and don't allow us to study several uh, several cell receptors at a time, which makes the use very time consuming if we want to collect a lot of data. So DNA origami structures. In order to propose an alternative, the research team led by Gaten Below at the Structural Biology Center, yeah, he decided to use the DNA origami method that enabled a self-assembly of 3D nanostructures in a predefined form using the DNA molecule as construction material. Over the last 10 years, the technique has allowed major advances in the field of nanotechnology. This enabled researchers to design a nanorobot comprised of DNA origami structures of nanometric size. It is therefore compatible with the size of a human cell. 
It makes it possible for the first time to apply and control a force with a resolution of one uh, piconewton, one piconewton, and namely one trillionth of a newton, with one newton uh, corresponding to the force of a finger clicking on a pin. This is the first time that a human-made, self-assembled DNA-based object can apply force with this accuracy. The team began by coupling the robot with a molecule that recognizes the mechanoreceptor. This made it possible to direct the robot to some of our cells and specifically apply the forces to targeted mechanoreceptors localized in the surface of the cells in order to activate them. Such a tool is very valuable for basic research as it could be used to better understand the molecular mechanisms involved in cell mechanosensitivity and, and discover new cell receptors sensitive to mechanical forces. Thanks to the robot, the scientists will also be able to study more precisely at what moment when applying the force, key signaling pathways for many biological and pathological processes are activated at cell level. The design of a robot enabling the in vitro and in vivo application of pico-newton forces meets a growing demand in the scientific community and represents a major technological advance. However, the biocompatibility of the robot can be considered to be both an advantage for in vivo application, but may also represent a weakness with sensitivity to enzymes that can degrade DNA. So our next step will be to study how we can modify the surface of the robot so that it's less sensitive to the action of enzymes. We'll also try to find other methods of activation of our robot using, for example, a magnetic field. Super interesting. What the heck is going on? I can't even keep up with this stuff. This is almost too much. Um, so here's a link to the article for you dudes. And I'm going to pack up and wrap up the show. And I'm happy again to take any requests for any kind of specific science I'd like to hear about in the future. Y'all want to hear about dinosaurs, you want to hear about space, you want to hear about magnetism, you want to hear about quantum technology or artificial intelligence, you can just uh, specify for me and I can get specific and we can have a more detailed show. This is just an emergency show because uh, I discovered the rain water was uh, becoming toxically infected with PFAS, uh, PFNAS or whatever those chemicals are and so... Had to highlight that, and hopefully I was able to throw in enough cool news at the end there to kind of sugarcoat everything and make it more bearable. So I appreciate you guys tuning in. I hope everyone learned something cool. I know I did. I think the fish scales thing was probably the coolest thing for me. Um, and they, the force of science allow us to have cooler lives and nicer things in the future, and hopefully get this planet cleaned up and closer to a state of Eden so we can all have more vacation time and just enjoy our time here instead of struggling for some kind of vampire oligarch who wants us to buy their makeup. So I guess that's it, guys. Thanks for tuning in and y'all stay cool.